0: My guest today is Dan Petschy. Uh, Dan is an award winning artist, illustrator, graphic designer, writer, and theater maker who lives and works in Boston. Uh, that is directly from his bio, um, which I thought was well written, so why not use it? Uh, he is a graduate of Harvard College, which means that he's probably a smarty pants, um, and of the School of Museum of Fine Arts. Uh, Dan founded Boston-based theater and fashion collective Street Corner Society and is the principal artist, designer, and illustrator for the Dan Petchy Company, a purveyor of culturally appropriate gifts, boutique apparel, and unique decor. He has more recently been described as the Hunter S. Thompson of domestic wearers. Um, I think he's a little more accessible than that, but uh, definitely a lot of flair and style. And I hope you enjoy our conversation today because he's always an interesting person to chat with. Hello, my name is Felicia Ryan. You are on... uh, Hi, Felicia, which is my podcast. My guest today is Dan Petchy. Look at, I said it right. And sometimes guests, unprompted, feel the need to say,
1: Hi, Hi, Felicia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things that I don't have my sound editor edit out is my laughing, because I snark a lot. So So I hope you don't mind. Um, So Dan is a friend of a friend. He's also a Facebook friend. So it's a lot of fun to have somebody who you know, sort of tangentially socially and also on Facebook to come and talk to me today. So I appreciate you coming.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: In the cold basement of MATV. (laughs) So if I sniffle, that's also the the issue. It's not because I have a drug issue. It's because it's cold down here and my nose is running. So Dan, I did already do a bio, but do you have anything in the way of, um, I have your bio and I read it. Sure. Do you have anything in the way of how you like to introduce yourself?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, it seems to change every few years. But uh, I guess right now I run a, an online design company and I sell and make products, uh, wearables, home decor, stationery. Really
0: you so- seem like your, your stuff is always expanding. Like, how do you yeah. How do you decide, <laughs> like, what's going to be new or what, like, sustainable for you? Uh, whatever's
1: trending, I try to find a way to uh, sort of uh, get access to it, find the right supplier for it. Sometimes suppliers approach me and say, hey, we really love your designs. We'd love to work with you. Um, so i either find them that way it's a lot of sort of just like late night research a lot of google search sometimes some of the best things that i find are usually by accident um yeah and i think just really being open to any opportunities that present themselves and going after them and not sort of second guessing too much getting to a point where it's like oh this is a great thing and then being like Sometimes, oh, maybe this is not such a great thing once yeah. you learn a little bit more about either the practices or sort of what it's like working with them, but yeah. Do you no. think
0: that maturity of sort of allowing things to unfold as they need to is something you've grown into, or is that something that's always been a core part of your personality?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, so I think I'm a very conservative person on that front. Very liberal in many other ways, but I think I'm very risk-averse Uh so I think that was definitely a learned attitude mm-hmm. and sort of just realizing, oh, you really just got to go for as many things as possible, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, a majority of them are not going to work out. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's definitely something that's developed over the years and something I realized is the way to go about it at least for me yeah. at least for what i'm doing yeah
0: so when i was reading your bio i was really struck by the fact that you had smarty pants harvard on there <laughs> and i was curious like what that how how you know knowing who you are now in the world or you know at least a part of what i know about you sure. in the world yeah how was that fit with how you grew up and what your kind of goals were in life
1: oh, gosh so i come from a working class family first to go to college from my family oh
0: well, that's amazing congratulations thanks. thanks a
1: lot yeah uh I th-
0: but that harvard is like a huge harvard huge was a goal. big first step <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not just like i'm gonna go to college that's like i'm gonna make it really hard and sure. put a lot of pressure on myself
1: <laughs> well that was the thing i don't think my parents ever put that pressure on me and it was really not something i was ever working towards necessarily like i was like you know tried to do well in school, you know, really just sort of not working just to, like, make good grades or whatever, or working towards the goal of, like, getting into an elite university or something, but really trying to be more authentic about it. And my parents didn't put a lot of pressure on me for it, because I think it was, it was really just do your best. And that kind of was very supportive and sort of, you know, uh, helped me sort of Uh, be able to sort of pursue a lot of different things, particularly artistic pursuits early on. But it was never like the, oh, you need to go to a place like Harvard or something, or you're not going to ever have our love or something, which is something when I went to Harvard, I met a lot of people who had sort of been groomed and sort of very much. uh, I was going to
0: say, as you were telling your story, you don't sound like the typical Harvard student to me. I'll
1: take that as a compliment. Thank you. Or Uh, what
0: people might think you need to achieve that Goal of getting it to Harvard would be something that was very focused and have parents that were pushing you in that direction. So uh, it's nice to hear that you did it a different way. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, I think it was. Yeah, I think I was lucky in that regard because, yeah, again, it was very being surrounded by a lot of people where you know it was it was like this was on their roadmap since they were born, kind of a thing. So it was imagine
0: that pressure.
1: I can't. can't, No, I can't. I mean, I have my own pressures that I put upon myself, and I'm sure everybody does, Mm -hmm. but yeah no there just seems like a very sort of <laughs> i'm glad I didn't have that, and also then also meeting a lot of people down the road as well who were sort of had that pressure put upon them and then didn't get in or something like that, and how mm-hmm. that's haunted them into you know their like middle to later age so right which also seems like wildly detrimental and unhealthy right, so
0: right. I-, I think it's interesting when you do have that convergence of um, whether that's part of your, like, innate part of your personality, to mm. be kind of driven sure. or to have specific goal in mind but also have uh, succumb to your family pressure or what the ex- expectation of society is on you. Yeah. And it sounds like you took a sort of a natural drive to get you to a certain goal, but that sounds like it's also something that's helped propel you to be an entrepreneur because that's sure. another thing that not a lot of people want to jump into.
1: Sure, Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that word because I feel like it's a loaded term nowadays and it's becoming more and more uh, having a negative connotation. Really? I do, I think, because I think a lot of, when I think of a lot of uh, sort of startup bros or I feel like it's in that same sort of, you know, farm of terms. Uh, But this idea of like, you know, like, I don't know, whether it's privilege or whether it's you know, independent wealth or wealth that you hadn't amassed, or unfairness or something. I feel like that's a lot of, you know, I feel like that's becoming the thing. But yeah, no, for myself, I think it's a lot more scrappy and it's a lot more mm-hmm. being resourceful and thinking of opportunities uh, and putting things together that you normally wouldn't. That are not necessarily, you know the uh, the well trod path yeah. Uh so well trodden path I guess uh, that's
0: the creative artistic mindset to yeah coming together with a business mindset sure totally I have a friend who's a, a coach she was one of my first interviews on um, hi Felicia and she it was a visual she is a visual artist mm-hmm. she's a coach as well but she approaches sort of problem solving and conversation and coaching the same that same sort of creative way like she puts things together in a really interesting way and she has this really interesting perspective on things that I just I think lends itself to the fact that she was a visual artist
1: I can totally yeah I think when I think when I'm thinking about things conceptually I think it's more thinking about it visually it's more like surrealism like putting something with this thing that's not supposed to belong with this thing and seeing what kind of effect that creates and sort of if that's something's a success, successful because it's not supposed to be together, yeah. or and I know like like when I was like first starting out in my creative career was uh, staging a lot of um, worked in you know sort of like uh, site specific theater works, mm-hmm. and we would take sort of like classic texts or uh, histories or sort of more highbrow material and content, and we would pair it with. A performance tradition that was a little bit more lowbrow. Mm -hmm. So thinking about, for example, we have a show called Subway Orpheus that takes the Orpheus Eurydice myth and it sets it in the MBTA system. I love uh, that. And it sort of uses the sort of the activity of a commute and sort of traveling on the train, and uh, it becomes this sort of. theatrical experience and it's like, like a
0: hero's journey
1: it's like a hero's journey very much yeah uh but it's a you know it's an adventure and it's there's actors involved who are not actors and what's the word it's a um
0: experiential
1: it's very experiential but it's it's like it's a, there's a game component to it as well you're trying to find mm-hmm. this person who's the orpheus figure and uh, like
0: scavenger hunt
1: it's scavenger hunt yeah uh it so. sounds
0: a little bit like um uh, was it Sleep No More?
1: It was kind of uh, a lot of people who love Sleep No More ended up becoming fans of that because it sort of broke the mold of mm-hmm. being this controlled uh, sort of situation and environment within mm-hmm. a particular, you know, something that where they had gone in and sort of redesigned an entire place. Mm-hmm. Because, and like we had a, a bunch of academics come and one of them wrote about it for his dissertation and was talking about how it sort of took that rubric and uh, sort of broke it apart because it involved real life and sort of right. uh, took sort of the unaware performativity of people living their everyday mundane yeah. life and put that into a context where you as an audience member or sort of the adventure goer of it uh, realize sort of because you were viewing it through a performative lens uh-huh. – in a the theatrical lens, you then started to see how everybody was sort of already performing and sort of operating, yeah. whether or not they were aware of it. Which is
0: totally what the tea is about.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's where it sort of like came from originally. It was like, we're talking about the tea and sort of, you know, it's like really popular to sort of just lament and sort of complain about sort of how, uh, you know, unreliable the tea is and being like, what would it like really be good for? And I'd be like, well, it'd be cool if, like, you know, if like you went on to it and like you knew that. It wasn't necessarily about the destination that you were Mm -hmm. getting to, Mm -hmm. but more to appreciate sort of how unique each station really is, the architecture of each station, and realizing when people sort of travel on the T, they perform a version of themselves that's kind of like a shade from hell. (laughs) It's like it's a very anonymous. Like if you went in, you're like, oh, yeah, this is just like – of small like aspect of yourself then and, yeah. and sort of like the most like yes you can recognize everybody but everyone's kind of like this sad unaware uh-huh. Version or not, they're trying to make themselves anonymous or unseen.
0: Some are trying to make themselves smaller, but some are also like there are a lot of folks that are homeless or mentally ill or whatever. Sure, they're huge on the t because their their personalities are coming out, like talking to people or other people on the train or someone imaginary. And there's like, and then they captivate the attention in a way. That you're trying to be small, but they're, like, they're kind of let loose.
1: Right. Well, that's funny you say that because uh, a lot of the performers we have, when you're they're pretending like they're that type of person or that mm-hmm. kind of entity, mm-hmm. and it draws attention to itself, but then it's also the – it sort of allows it to happen because people are trying to ignore it. So it's this magical – thing where it's like oh yeah I mean are they a performer are they not and in this case yeah sometimes they actually are a performer so uh so we play with that kind of that's
0: a current project for you well that's been ongoing ongoing. that's
1: the first thing we started with and that's close to a I think it's gone close to a decade ago now.
0: I would wow. love to see you guys do something um, when the encore opens because yeah, yeah. casinos and oh, I love casinos are so, so fascinating. <laughs> They're so fascinating. I am a huge people watcher so I love yeah. public transportation. I love public places. Yeah. Sometimes, like, I have to wrestle with my own sense of anxiety for, like, what am I supposed to do? But if I'm people watching, I sort of have purpose. Sure. Rather than, like, oh, my God, who am I have to – what am I, like, looking at and what – who does my back – or my back against the wall? And there's so many people. Yeah. But with casinos, too, it's sort of like – Oh, yeah. People are maybe dressed – the way they wouldn't necessarily be dressed in right. a normal life. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of characters. Oh, I
1: love that. I love Foxwood so much.
0: We go um, to Mohegan Sun, which oh, nice, is also nice. really good people watching. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And uh, there's, a, there's a movie that came out a bunch of years ago, Alec Baldwin and uh, Felicity Huffman's husband's in it. And it's called The Cooler. Okay. And it's all about how a casino hires professional coolers to kind of uh, increase the house odds, mm. someone who's kind of a schlub or looks unlucky. Yeah, yeah. And through the process, he actually transforms into a winner. <laughs> and the casino <laughs> ends up like firing him because he, like in the um, the stagecraft and the um, art direction in it is amazing because yeah. they do very specific things with his clothing and colors in uh-huh, the film. Uh-huh. Um, that, like, you start to watch the transformation, and it's very subtle. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's, like, talk about theater, and, like, so start talking to mm-hmm. the encore now. About oh, I love the- <laughs> it. <laughs> Plus, it's going to be hugely opulent and, like, over-the-top directions. over top or, or, sorry, di- uh, decorations, like, a lot of gold.
1: Uh, I love it. And I know it's controversial. <laughs> they have a lot of friends that are really lamenting the fact that it's being built. But, I mean, personally... I'm really excited. No, for it, so. It, so okay. Well, you're invited to the friends and
0: family soft opening because my boyfriend was offered a job as a blackjack dealer. Amazing. He went through casino school, so he's very oh my excited. God, I love it. I love so it. So when they do the soft opening, please come.
1: Like please this. count me in. Count me in. <laughs> It'll be
0: such an interesting um, window. When you're talking about the underground theater, mm-hmm. um, I was thinking a lot about Oberon because that's oh, kind of sure, their yeah. thing, and I know that you have a connection to them. I do. I
1: started. That was my first job out of college, actually. That I the cool. program director for them. Yeah. Booking I've seen all the many acts and stuff. Uh,
0: burlesque show there. Yep. Yeah. I've seen um, some actually really cool um, like musical performances, mm-hmm. but I like the in- – an interactive element. I like that the audience is also part of the performance. Sure. I like that it's not like we're on a stage and we're presenting to you. Right. Like you're part of the performance.
1: Right. Well, that's how I would start. I mean, that was sort of the limitation put on us in the beginning was it had to have a more theatrical or even interactive component to it. It couldn't just be sort of like a, a music venue or it always had to have. And if it was, we had to sort of figure out with the artists, how do we make it more theatrical? How do we... Uh, if you're, if we're under the auspices of a, a nonprofit regional theater, how do we sort of, you know, how do we, how does it make sense within that mission statement, mm-hmm. rather than just being sort of another sort of club uh, venue? So it made it a little bit more challenging in the beginning, um, but I think also sort of, uh, I'd like to think that it sort of helped other bands sort of realize sort of the performance tradition that they were a part of, and sort of being like, oh, it's not just such and such and you know made their you know their gigs that much more engaging and mm-hmm. stuff like that so the donkey
0: show was huge now so
1: sure i mean it was huge when it first came out that's the sort of the funny thing it was sort of that's the thing about like theater i think it's like really interesting like donkey show was already super popular around the world prior to that for probably over a decade but then you know It's sort of – then it was new to and sort of fresh for a whole contingency of people who had never heard of it, never mind experienced it. And, like, still now it's sort of, you know, something that's over a decade uh, of sort of performing in Boston. And a lot of people in Boston still haven't seen it necessarily. And it's sort of – I mean, same with, like, Subway Orpheus. You know, there's like a – there's a myth component that's sort of created in and of itself and – Yeah, I mean, that's just like so interesting to me about theater as a product in particular. It can be, uh, you can start the thing and then it can sort of go and then, you know, it can always be something that's new for a lot of different people and sort of be fresh and groundbreaking to them, even if it's old hat for someone else. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's just like such an interesting phenomenon. Do you
0: still perform yourself?
1: I do occasionally, yeah. I used to perform once a month when it was sort of had first started I've now sort of done that because I'm busy with many other things and projects now. To like just once a year, uh, but it's um, yeah, no, it's an interesting project. It's an inter- it's an interesting ongoing project because it's sort of it was sort of like the um, I forget the religion or sort of the philosophy. It's like when the notion of God uh, creating like a, a watch and set it going and then like walking away, uh, rather than having sort of dominion over it at all yeah. times, like. Um, my co-creator and I, when we made it, we were like, it needs to be like that. We need to s- sort of set it up for something. It never closes and it yeah. sort of goes beyond us. And uh, That's
0: sustainability, though, too. And that's... Well, That was the
1: thing. was like, yeah. how do we make something of this sort of grand scale and sort of this kind of, you know, ambition and daring? Yep. How do we make it sustainable? How do we make it uh, that, you know, you, you didn't have the pressures of, you know, the typical pressures of you know, renting a venue or, uh, you know, selling tickets in a traditional way or...
0: How do people support the um,
1: work? So they either, several, that's the thing, we sort of made it multiple rather than just, you know, buying from a particular thing. You either buy tickets that go on sale very, very rarely because it's sold out months in advance online, or you happen upon it by accident. Someone, a performer approaches you in a public area. Uh, or someone who's gone on the show, um, purchase you, purchases tickets for you or as a gift, uh, and sort of gives it to you that way. But and this, this
0: is like... Subway Orpheus or is this Donkey Show that you're talking oh, about? Oh, Subway Orpheus. Okay. Yeah.
1: Donkey Show is sort of, it's similar in like, you know, I mean, when it first started, it was like, you know, tiered pricing, VIP, uh.
0: VIPs get more glitter?
1: VIPs get like a table, I think. I'm sure it's changed by now in different ways. Um, but, uh. Yeah, you get sort of, you know, there's more access or whatever, or you get a better view, you have more comfort uh, versus just the standing where you just, you know, you're standing. And another, I remember, like, it was like when it was like first starting, it was more about how do you get the word out for Donkey Show. Um, Whereas with Subway Orpheus, you know, like Donkey Show, we'd have like street teams and be like, hey, do you want to come? Like here, you buy this ticket and like you get a friend or hey, here's some comp tickets, just like come in get a drink or something um, and then come back again, you know, like that kind of it was sort of more of a um, sort of a promotional vehicle, you know, be like just get as many people to be able to bring their friends. And then that evolves into, you know, having like uh, bachelorette parties and Mm -hmm. sort of private parties. And, you know, it becomes this whole beast where it's super cool and fresh in the beginning. And then, you know, there's other how do you then take that and expand, beyond it. So that was like sort of its own, I think more of a traditional club show model. Mm -hmm. And Subway Orpheus was actually like, how do we keep this quiet? How do we not allow, you know, critics to come and write about it? Um, How do we keep it sort of, you know, just we just want like academic theorists to come kind of a thing. And then how do we involve them in it? And then how do we keep it sort of secret and cool and sort Mm. of not doing any sort of traditional advertising for it? And really, it's just like word of mouth. And you know, it's the kind of thing that someone talks about at a party and they're like, I yeah. went on this thing or I heard about this thing.
0: I love that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that. So I think for Subway Orpheus, it's been allowed to sort of exist and sort of succeed because it was uh, we approached it on its own terms. Mm-hmm. And we we're like this. Stop trying to fit this into a traditional mo- uh, model of theater. And being like, what is like, what does it want to be? And what will make it work for what it needs to be? And how do you preserve, you know, just being like really attentive and Mm -hmm. really uh, honest Mm -hmm. and being like, this isn't the kind of thing where it's, you know, the kind of thing that you're going to ever transfer to Broadway because you Mm can't. Or this isn't even the type of thing that you would even transfer to the New York City subway system Mm -hmm. because that's not what it's about. It wasn't Mm -hmm. built on that DNA. It was sort of like, People so like we've had people like being like they want us uh, to take it to Paris or they wanted us to take it to London and it was like well it's not gonna really work it's like it would have to be a completely different thing yeah uh, and just really being like for this particular project we keep it there and we keep it about the yeah. sort of the that Boston. Sort of landscape in that. It would be interesting in Paris. It would be interesting, but there would be a different thing. And then it was. And then I think it's the thing. It's like it's one thing of many possible projects. Right. And you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket or make one thing have to be something. You can always have another other thing that comes along. I love the
0: two questions that you posed earlier about like what does it want to be and what sort of what is it, how do you want it to unfold? Sure. That's one of the questions that I keep asking around this podcast. Yeah, and yeah. Sort of like my perpetual, like, what things am I interested in? Like, what does it want to be? Mm-hmm. So having a general, like, theme or plan yeah. is great because I'm – very risk adverse like you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i also love that idea of bringing organic nature to something and like some breath and letting it sure letting it grow as it needs to right like the gardener in me like oh that's not what i expected it to be right but right right it's okay or yeah, maybe yeah. i planted it in the wrong place
1: and totally can
0: try again yeah what do you think of um the arts scene in boston the uh, there's, i've I've worked in a variety of different arts organizations. I worked for Mass Art for a while. Um, I worked in museums. I've been involved with some arts organizations here. Mm -hmm. And the criticism I always hear is that it's very parochial.
1: Yeah, I think for the institutions it is. Mm -hmm. But the more, I mean, for myself, like, so I've worked for ART. I've worked for the Huntington Theater Company, Mm -hmm. which are sort of, I think, you know, the two major regional Mm. theater institutions in town I think
0: what they do they do well
1: I do too yeah I mean again in in town being if you consider Cambridge Boston you know what right I mean? anyway that's right. a whole different <laughs> but uh yeah no I think they both do things well I think ARTS certainly changed a lot from when I was growing up and sort of you know being a real child of the kind of work that um you know Bob Rustein and Robert Woodruff were doing there which was a lot more uh, avant-garde and international and auteur director uh, takes on you know classic texts and mm-hmm. reinventing things using sort of a sort of an international understanding of what was you know groundbreaking in in the field mm-hmm. and sort of in the tradition versus now is sort of something that I think is probably a better business model uh, but n- definitely not the same type of you know, when I think of, like, the old brand of ART, like, what it, you know, what I was sort of excited by as sort of a young, like, you know, budding theater maker being like, oh, my God, that's just so rad. Oh, my God, that Chekhov was incredible. Like, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like just being like, oh, just it, for me, it was like such an exciting introduction to these classic texts in a way that, you know, when I see something at ART now, I think of it's like, I think of it more as a, like a Broadway um tryout house yeah and you know sometimes they'll you know they have other sort of more cool sort of i guess if you want to call them like downtown experimental projects but not the same type of still things that are sort of designed to be commercial or mm-hmm. uh but um yeah so just like two very different yeah takes on an institution and yeah. so it's interesting to see that change in just a matter of like a few years oh yeah um And then Versus the Huntington, which I think has also changed from what I remember when I was growing up to it was sort of like a traditional, from my understanding, a traditional tryout house for Broadway with it was a lot more tried and true conservative takes on, uh, you know, staging a text like the way it was staged kind of and being a lot more sort of museum oriented and making things more like museum pieces being, you know, like that kind of a rather than trying to do a radical take on it or trying to find something new about it mm-hmm. in a, a more in my opinion exciting way but to now sort of trying to do uh shows that are not necessarily gonna transfer somewhere um mm-hmm. and sort of being a lot more sort of the old nonprofit profit regional theater mindset of we're doing this because no one else is going to do it um mm-hmm you know, at least from what I've seen and sort of for both institutions, we're having worked at both and sort of having Mm -hmm. seen them, having grown up around here and sort of seen them evolve in in those ways. But then it makes me think, like, I don't know if institutions are, or I don't think theater necessarily should be institutionalized or even made Mm. to be nonprofit, because I think that's sort of, uh, I think institutions in that way, it's sort of more about maintaining a status quo. Mm. And uh, I think uh, that kind of kills art. (laughs) And uh, it's sort of like taking, and this is going to be ironic coming from someone who works very heavily in retail now and sort of fashion and design of, it's like taking a live Cobra and... uh, defanging it and taking out the venom and turning it into, like, a designer look belt. It. Yeah. <laughs> Beware. It's like, oh, look at this cool, exciting thing that was once alive. Yeah. And it's like, it's mine now and I own it. And So it's, I don't know. That's, like, sort of what I think about when I think of, you know what I mean? Like, when I see, like, institutions have to appease their board politically or yeah. sort of be careful what they say. And, like, I get it. But it's sort of – it's ironic that – Something as incendiary as theater in the larger traditional historic, you know, sense is then uh, sort of incapacitated in that way. And it's just a pretty grand irony, I think. But, yeah, so I don't know. I I also think, like, particularly in the United States, because you don't have – really sort of government funding in the way of, like, other countries. Right. That um,
0: For writers and artists. For everybody. And, and actors. And, and yeah. sort
1: of also then, you know, like, I don't know, I remember when I was, like, I did a, um, a fellowship in college and I went to, you know, I went to, like, the south of France, I went to Berlin, I went to Edinburgh, I went to um, Amsterdam, and it was just going to theater and going to art events was just so much yeah. – Cooler, yeah. and more uh, part of the you know everybody. Everybody just went to these things, and it was sort of the the thing you did Accessible. no matter what age. Was, I don't even I don't know. I it that's wasn't an interesting a term. Thing. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was sort of that's interesting. I always I like. I'm glad you brought up access because I don't know if the conversation when we talk about accessibility in the arts, if we're talking about it in the right way. Like, are we allowing – because, for example, like I think of like a Beyonce concert or I think Mm -hmm. of, you know, name any pop store where people are willing to drop however absurd amount of money to be able to see this person live. Everybody, no matter what their class, finds a way to do that because they want to be there. Right. And that's a status thing to be able to say this is part of my identity. I'm willing to sort of value it to a way – to a point where I'm willing to do something like that. It's part of my life. I care about it, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Versus, I don't know, like regional theaters being like, well, you should like us or right. you should, we, you know, I don't know, you know what I mean? There's like right. a, like a, there's a, maybe an arrogance or an expectation that you should care right. because they're doing the good work or whatever, but not necessarily thinking about how do we make it resonate in the way that, a pop star like that does just for like one example. So,
0: so I went to the Foo Fighters at the um, Fenway Park this summer, nice. and one of the things I was so captured by was everyone knew all the words. Yeah, everyone had dropped you know big bucks to be in the seats, uh-huh. and I thought like, why doesn't like a poet have that same command of an audience? Sure. And, or <laughs> people screaming and spending five hundred dollars and fifty dollars on a shirt or whatever? Right, right, and it's um. So when I say accessible, mm-hmm. I think um, people know Beyonce. She's pervasive. Mm-hmm. Like right. her her image, her words are, are part of the culture. Shakespeare isn't necessarily. Sure. Or some like drilled down version of that. Or like someone might see a play listed and be like, well, I'm not going to understand what's going on. Yeah. Because I'm not familiar with the text or I haven't totally. read it. Or. Right. So there's... The uh, it's not pervasive. It's yeah. not part of the culture. It's it's sort of like a little subcategory. If maybe you studied something in college, or mm-hmm. there was a um, an experiment. I lived in Alston for about twenty years, and there was a little outdoor theater in the in the park mm-hmm. by the Charles River. Mm-hmm. It's an amphitheater, and they would nice. do Shakespeare plays in uh-huh. the summertime. And um, I would drag my poor partner at the time, who was like i'm gonna fall asleep, I don't know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. and I was like, just kind of like take it in sure. and it was um it was like a midsummer night stream, so it was very accessible and yeah. it was funny, and the uh actors were local and they kind of uh, they made the uh, language sound a little modern sure um but I remember like laughing at the jokes and like getting like yeah, the, yeah. like it was like Being at a concert, like, I knew what the line was that was coming, (laughs) and I understood what was happening. And, like, looked over at the other people, and we were, like, nodding and winking. And, like, I looked over at my partner. He was asleep. Yeah. Like, he just, like, and I was, like, enjoy the theater. Like, (laughs) we're outdoors in the amphitheater. And it's, like, you know, we had been to France. We had been outside where, Mm. you know, that gorgeous amphitheater in the south of France where they actually had, like, concerts in the summertime Mm. because – yeah. That They still use the facilities that, like, the Greeks and the Romans use. Right, like, right. Like, you know, we have history here, but we, we make it precious. Yeah. We wall it off. We have a rope around it.
1: Well, I'm glad you said all about, like, the outdoor theater and sort of the experience. Of, I think that's, like, super important. I think that's something that a lot of regional theaters overlook is the experience of going to it and realizing that, you know, the performance itself or whatever is sort of – in my opinion, like a very small part of what it's actually about when you're going. Like, you know, what does it smell like? What is it, you know, what is the weather like that day? Who are you with? Mm -hmm. What did you eat before? What are you doing like right afterward? What does the show art look like? Mm -hmm. What is, you know, what is your relationship to it in terms of like looking forward to it? Mm -hmm. Is it more spur of the moment? Mm -hmm. And then sort of, you know, the actual performance and what's going on, Mm -hmm. that I think is like percentage-wise, is sort of much, much, much more insignificant than I think a lot of people um, realize or the people who are sort of responsible for it mm-hmm. in the larger sense, like who are running the theater necessarily. You know what I mean? Like that kind yeah, of um, – yeah. And I think like something like that, like I don't think it should necessarily matter what the show is that you're going. Like the fact that you went and you remember what happened with the person that you were with. And, yeah. I'm like, okay, if he fell asleep, as long as he was like there, like he was having some kind of reaction in some way. You were there, you went, you guys did something, you had a memory that was made. You had an experience that sort of resonated with you and sort of, you know, brought all of these memories and thoughts or inspiration, whatever. Right. Like that to me like seems like a win,
0: win kind of. So it's like sort of. Rather than trying yeah. to manage his experience, rather than of trying it. to be like, Oh, yeah. you need
1: to respect this or you know, <laughs> revere this. You need to
0: laugh at the jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have, like, it's like,
1: I feel like as long as it's sort of you're there, you're doing that's the thing. I think that also scares people away too from things. And that was a thing in like, for in Berlin, for example, like I went to uh, the Schaubuna or I think maybe it was a Volksbuna. I can't remember. I don't speak German, but uh, we went and it was sort of a ton of young people and we were drinking in the theater and. The actors were doing a new piece, and, and that was in their repertoire. Um, and uh, they still had their scripts in the hand, and I think like the set was like half built, but they were still doing it, and they were still just trying out because they were like just testing the material, and it was a lot more casual. And there was a super famous actress I learned later that was like there that was really well known, and she was like, it was just a lot less like, precious. And people, like, were still there. And some people were like, "Ah, it was okay, but it's fine. But they still enjoyed going and yeah. socializing yeah, yeah. and seeing people and engaging with this. And it didn't matter if it was good or bad or worthwhile. It was the experience of going yeah, to yeah. it. So I – you know what I mean? Like, so I – that – I feel like we don't think about it that way. We need to like establish <laughs> like
0: personal coaches or life coaches for theater groups to, <laughs> to like talk to the audience about how to enjoy the experience but also like the stage like how to stage the the um, experience of the theater, right? Well, it yeah. sh- it
1: should be the it should be more social and it should be more. Um... That was my stage manager coming out. <laughs> but yeah, I, well, then you know, like it, there's the or I think it's like for house managers in a lot of places, you go, you get the people in as soon as possible. You do the show, you finish the show, and you try to clear them out of the house, right. the theater as quickly as possible. Right. And I think in Boston is particularly in, in New York or whatever, you could go get a drink. Uh, A lot more, I think, theaters in New York are getting hip to the realizing how important it is to sort of be able to talk about what you just had and unpack what you just had or what you just experienced and saw or witnessed. Uh, I think in Boston, like, a lot of things close early. It's really hard to get out because the tea, again, is, like, so unreliable so often. Uh, It's very cold a lot of the time. A lot of people just sort of want to, you know stay in uh, uh we don't know
0: how to be in groups in boston no
1: it's very yeah. and you know the city doesn't really assist or encourage that
0: mm-hmm.
1: nightlife or whatever in any way really with everything with all the laws and sort of you know very puritanical mindset about right. you know what which i think is detrimental to the economy in many we ways we may
0: still burn witches here
1: right true oh my gosh <laughs> So true, uh, but but yeah, you know what I mean. It's like you can't. Culture is not just uh, the thing you go look at. The thing you go look at, and then you put away back into the library and mm-hmm. store away. And you
0: buy the souvenir,
1: right? Although you might like. Though I do to buy like souvenirs. Souvenir. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually a huge proponent for souvenirs um, and sort of show art and sort of things in general, particularly for theater. And I think that's sort of how, in a way, I transitioned from producing and making theater. Yeah into a more sort of retail, concrete, mm-hmm. product-based uh, career at the moment. Again, I don't know what will happen 10 years from now as things just keep evolving in different ways for me. But you've
0: had a lot of popular items that have been inspired or referenced. Yeah. Um, Broadway productions or local Broadway, productions? Broadway,
1: Shakespeare, mm-hmm. ancient Greek tragedy, mm-hmm. theatricality in general, uh, Yeah, no. I think a lot of the things I make at com are sort of very theater – there's a theatrical component to it and there's Mm -hmm. a performativity to everything. And I think it comes from thinking about the importance of – for theater, something that's so transient and, you know, you can have a show and it's sort of – you know, it does – you can't look back on it even if you have, like, a recording of it or something. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no, you know –
0: Because it's live in the moment. It's
1: live in the moment and it's like it doesn't – You know, it's like sand going through an hour. like it's like you see it and it's like, you know, it's like this beautiful illusion that sort of, you know, you can have in memory, but, you you know, there's nothing concrete about it and...
0: Because when you're in the zone and there's a better word for it, you are disconnected from space and time. And um, that's also where some of the most beautiful kind of art, for a big word like art, happens. Like, if you write something or you have experienced something in a live format, you may not even be aware of it in the moment. And sure. then you go back to a souvenir or something after. <laughs> well, that's the like, thing. Like,
1: yeah. Like, oh. thinking about, like, what are those flowers that only, like, blossom in the moonlight? Like, that, you know, mm-hmm. then they're gone. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that kind of, yeah. Like, that's, like, theater and it's sort of, like, that's the tradition and that's what it is. Yeah. And that's totally great. But then thinking about... For me, like a souvenir is like your mnemonic device to be able to recall yes, that. And yeah. it's sort of like it's a thing you have that's sort of, you know, people are always like, oh, what's the message? What, what can you take away from it? It's like a souvenir is kind of great. Yeah. Like a concert tea to like a Madonna, you know, yeah. a vintage Madonna concert tea is a really special thing. Like it sort of brings you back to a time yeah. in your life, you know, there's... It gives you a sense of time pass have time having passed. It gives you a sense of identity. You know, it's all these sort of Yeah, so I mean I mean I used to be like, oh merch, that's so, you yeah, know, that's so antithetical to what the art is. And I was like, no, actually. It's like a it's, dirty
0: kind of, word. It's right? not it's more than that.
1: Well, I don't know. Terms are so confusing because they're so fluid and everyone interprets them different. There's no like sort of absolute for them. And then, you know, someone says something and you're like, oh, that's not and then but then it's like, oh, but it's okay. Anyway, but yeah, no. Yeah, no. Uh...
0: That's what you do so brilliantly, though, I think, is your work is uh, – it references something, uh-huh. but it's also uh, – again, I'm going to use this word. It's accessible. Thanks. So it's, cre- it's creative, <laughs> and I can see where it's like your style is put in there. Yeah. But um, I I can look at uh, uh, like a pocketbook or a little – a purse, zip purse or pillow or something that you've created. Yeah. And I know where it comes from.
1: Yeah. Like I yeah. know right away. Right. Like it,
0: there's no, yeah, no yeah. mystery to it.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like been a goal. But
0: it's fun and it's funky.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's like it's everything I make is pretty niche target like it's targeted at like sort of niche subcultures and sort of people I I know that there's a I'm contingency. your target market. <laughs> well sure, yeah. Like um like our friendly Simma Colgan yes. sort of, you know I think about I honestly any th- new product I come up with that sort of you know, or even she's like she's inspired a whole collection of cosmetic bags. I love that. Uh, I'm a, is it I'm so. an
0: Androuy and a and a leading lady Role or character actress, yes, character World. yeah, there you go,
1: (laughs) top seller. Uh, yeah, no, she, yeah, like sort of, it's sort of, and that's for me, that's like a very that fits in the brand because it's a very, she's a very theatrical persona, yes, as you know, yes, and it's sort of,
0: she has like amazing purses, like I'm always like, right, she's like her
1: own sort of icon, uh, yes, I I mean, I think Iris, there we go, yeah, she's, uh, (laughs) I
0: couldn't wear all that heavy jewelry, but
1: right, she is a. She is a woman about time. I'm
0: the poor man's uh, version of the Lisa McColgan in the house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is not fair I don't, wear, I don't wear as much bling. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I thought sort of – so for me on the like retail end of things, it's like making items for people that I don't necessarily see in the larger market that I know that they'll appreciate. Um, And I know that when they see it, they'll have to have it because they are not going to, they haven't found it anywhere else. And sort of really, I try to think in those terms um, from sort of like a business perspective and sort of like a strategy perspective. But I think that comes about from having thought about accessibility in theater in the past. And what does that mean? Sort of helping, you know, for me, it's like, I'm not like, you know... You know, when I think about being a consumer or sort of, you know, going to a mall and sort of, you know, how do I think as how do I think as my a heart consumer? dies
0: a little bit when I have to go to a mall? Totally. Well,
1: totally. I mean, yeah, but
0: unless I can go to Claire's, which is like,
1: but then there's like Claire's has its own sort of theatrical <laughs> mythology around it, like the experience of it's going like a to it. Unicorn
0: threw up. But...
1: <laughs> but you can sort of, you know, go through that throw up and find some magical yes. gems. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? Sort of. I
0: bought many a tiara there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So when
0: you were in Malden, um, how many, like, where were you? So I lived on
1: Summer Street. I was renting a house um, from my early 20s, early to mid 20s.
0: Did you have any favorite Malden haunts?
1: Uh, I actually love Malden sort of, that was like where we were based uh, for Street Corner Society, which is the production organization that um, does uh, Subway Orpheus. So a lot of actually Malden inspired a lot of different projects for us uh and yeah Malden's a really I mean it sounds like it's a fairy tale place if like you've never if like if you say it said it's a oh, Malden you know you just sort of think of like Lord of the Rings kind of imagery I think but there's so many different pockets of uh you know, under, and these aren't necessarily like major places, even like where we are right now is sort of a, a hidden place yes. that I would not have known about. Yes. There are so many places like that and so many nooks and crannies yes. of things that have been here for years yes. that you didn't necessarily notice or have awareness of, which is right. sort of what Subway Orpheus plays on. And so yeah. the notion when you see it or when you experience it, like the whole goal of it was to make you feel like you know this thing has been happening for hundreds of years prior mm-hmm. to your you know and you it's been going on under your nose all this time yeah. and you just weren't privy to it or um so yeah i mean i feel like malden has a lot of that uh
0: what do you see um so knowing that we want Malden Access TV is yeah. looking for a new home and a part of that home hopefully will house a black box theater yeah what do you think for potential for a little black box theater in Malden So
1: coming from someone who loves non-traditional theater and sort of finding unusual or sort of again unexpected places to have theatrical things, I do think you need the sort of the traditional the more traditional kind of space in order to sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, act against it or act upon it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and talking about accessibility for a lot of people, that means you need that kind of familiar idea of what something is Mm -hmm. in order to act as sort of a gateway drug to move on to other things. So for like, for us- I love
0: gateway drug in theater. uh, No, no, (laughs) totally.
1: Like sort of, so I think when I think about access, it's like, it's always, how do you make something or how do you think about something where, no matter where someone is in their journey in life, who they are, what their, you know, socioeconomic class may or may not be, mm-hmm. their level of education, their interests, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How do you make something that has multiple entrances mm-hmm. so they can sort of find the entrance that's right for them rather than just one that sort of limits yeah. it? And that for me, you know, that goes beyond, you know, affordability necessarily, yeah. you know, again coming back to the Beyonce example, you know, if there's a way that people can get into something, they will find the yes. way. Yeah. That's right for them. You just need yeah. to provide the many different options for people to be able to sort of right. enter into it. So
0: And allow things to speak to them on different levels. Right, right. Um, so maybe that's getting them in the door with some sort of accessible musical, but right. then maybe they know the theater is there and then you could have a one-man show or a one-woman show right. or something. And because Malden is actually really diverse – yeah. Like, maybe that's multilingual shows. Right. Maybe that's a show of another cultural tradition. Right. Um, so there's, like, so many possibilities.
1: So many possibilities. And I think is if you're also having that kind of traditional, more traditional venue, if you're thinking about it non-traditionally, like, for example, you know, if it's something, like, we're always like, oh, you know, theaters only. You know, it's at this hour and then it's over and it's done. Right? How do you figure out how to use that venue uh, for the rest of the hours in the day? Yeah. Which I think is also is like, for example, like thinking about like a Starbucks cafe. Yeah. Like that's like people are like, oh, but it's a Starbucks. I was like, yeah, but like they really maximize sort of their real estate and being like, this is like, is this is something. This is coming right. from someone who was a barista at Starbucks during grad school. Yeah. It was. You know, the theatricality of Starbucks itself is pretty incredible, whereas starting from the early, like the wee hours of the morning and sort of how watching that sort of day and that sort of script evolve Mm -hmm. into the later hours and how it sort of, you know, the whole operation shifts throughout the day to satisfy, you know, the vibe and the needs and Mm -hmm. sort of the customers um, experience throughout the day and keeping that very versus a theater was just like it's dark most of the day and sort of not being used and it's a super especially in the traditional sense this super expensive operation like you know what i mean it's just like it's a business model that's like destined to fail right because you know what i mean it's like how can you and it's just put so many pressures onto something and turns things into things that going back to like listening to what something ought to be right it morphs it and like the way of like like Cinderella's stepsisters of yeah. like, you know, we're going to force this shoe on you. And it's, right. yes, or we're going to cut off some of your foot or whatever. Or we're going to injure you or sort of, you know.
0: ladies always like to be toeless.
1: So. Right. <laughs> exactly. But that's the kind of thing that right. I, a lot of like theater, uh, yeah. you know, when you talk about a business plan, like they shoehorn themselves into... I hate anything really that says situations. one size fits all. Right. I hate it that. just it just doesn't work. It doesn't. Yeah. It's so. like
0: I'm always like, uh, my head is too big for that hat. That yeah. is not a one size fits all. Right. My brain is much larger than the normal No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right.
1: Well, there's an iron like a lot of theater people I know, and especially having gone from working with a lot of theater people to now working with a lot of retail and sort of, you know, a different sort of type of worker or professional who sort of sees you know, working in a much different light, knowing so many theater people who are so good at solving problems in the moment and making, uh, you know, really sort of pretty brilliant solutions uh, for sort of, you know, problems that would throw so many other people off that other, mm-hmm. you know, types of professions would just throw money at or sort of, you know, not, you know, what I mean, that kind of a thing. There's such a resourcefulness for the typical theater maker. It's ironic to me to see so many theater institutions not have that kind of um, flexibility or that kind of quick-wittedness or that kind of um, creativity in solving the larger uh, institutional problems that they're all facing or presented presented with. So, I mean, it's sort of – yeah, and I don't know what sort of – where that sort of disconnect – Where it no longer translates at what point or – you know what I mean?
0: Having worked in a bunch of nonprofits – I work in healthcare now Mm. and I have a day job that allows me to work from home. I do clinical editing and then I have a side gig um, and then I do writing and other things like this podcast. But having worked in nonprofits for more than 20 years, what I saw was folks who were siloed and who were really good at that one task – but didn't know how to work as a team sure. and didn't have that problem-solving ability. yeah. And we're really only thinking for the next two years or five years sure. or their fiscal year yeah. Um, and how to solve the issues of whatever. yeah. I, I found that some of the roles that I had, I always liked talking to the volunteers, talking mm. to the person who sold the tickets, talking to the person who was curating the show, yeah. talking to the people who were coming in because they had just... Happened upon us, right that kind of thing, and kind of getting more of like a three hundred sixty pr- perspective, mm-hmm. but not everybody in the organization wanted that or needed mm-hmm. that or even knew what to do with it,
1: sure, yeah. um,
0: and then the next person would assume the role and be the same kind of slot, yeah, very tunnel vision, and there's very few um, sort of presidents or CEOs or leaders in those organizations that um Stay for more than five, five years. Yeah. And they're usually brought in to do a very specific thing. Yeah. Like whatever it is. Maybe it's a capital campaign. Maybe it's we want to wing. Maybe it's we want to fix the stage. Maybe it's we want to hire a new musical director. Yeah. So they're, they're tasked with that one thing, mm-hmm. but not like you saying, like, what does it want to be in the moment? Right. And What's they the go, larger vision. yeah, and they yeah. go through these strategic planning processes and organizational transformational things, and they hire consultants, and then they don't do anything with the information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're like, really? <laughs> I know. So yeah. you know, one of the things that I've loved with the involvement here <laughs> is that, um, like any organization, they really want to celebrate where they came from mm-hmm. and celebrate the the. Uh, the idea of community access mm-hmm. and what that means. Mm-hmm. And but also I think they they do want to move forward. They want it to be true access for the community. Sure. They want to recognize the fact that there is diversity. Yeah. Um and then if it is this like little hidden gem in the basement of a building that nobody necessarily knows about, yeah. How are we providing access?
1: Fair, very true. Uh, I think you gotta get out of the dark. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. light. Yeah, into the and air. think about it differently. And like <laughs> yeah. you
0: know, part of it will be a rebranding, part of it will be a location change, sure. part of it will be you know, listening to young folks too, who are gonna like yeah. move the technology lo- like leaps and bounds. Sure. And and doing things with technology that are really interesting. Sure. Yeah. Like um, you know, I think television by itself people always think like well it has to be a certain format and it's someone behind a desk and it has to do this or do that but this idea some of the kids that are creating videos that are like 10 seconds
1: sure sure yeah
0: that's fascinating yeah
1: it is yeah
0: like we're all you know it's uh i love the idea that um it's almost moving faster than i can keep up with it
1: yeah yeah I don't know. Sometimes that can be overwhelming though too. And I think that can, for a lot of people, no matter where, what stage you are in life, that can be a really, um, something to be afraid of and something that turns you off from something Right. if it feels too fast. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's, I think that's a dilemma at the same time. It's the solution and yet also Mm. the problem for a lot of people. Um,
0: so like how do you – so you get excited by lots of different projects. Yeah. How do you say no to things? Like how do you scale back and say, okay, this is the time and energy that I have to give to these things. Sure. And it's good time and energy and then I'm also going to save some for myself.
1: Oh, gosh. That's a great question. Uh, it's something I think I'm still working on and it's something that's still – you know, I think it's – in the sort of speaking generally because I feel like this is a really a, a nuanced – Deserves – it's a nuanced question that deserves a nuanced answer. But I think first and foremost, like, the thing that comes to mind for me is, like, do I like – if I'm collaborating with someone, do I like the person? Do I enjoy spending time – do I like the energy of the person? Do I like their vibe? Does it feel right? Does it – you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. those things are really important. I find myself – like, sometimes I've approached projects that, you know, I'm interacting with the parties involved – I'm just like, oh, these people are not good people. And like this is just, you know, whatever it is, you know, trying to be understanding to a point, be like, oh, maybe it's a bad day or whatever. Right. Having patience to a certain point. But then I think realizing and being honest for yourself beyond – even if it's like a really – if it seems like a big project or Mm -hmm. whatever, I don't know if it's ultimately worth it Mm -hmm. to work with those people. And I think it's really – just on because I think it's gonna blow up in your face at some point. Even mm-hmm. if you get something out of it that you want professionally, whether it's like you know a big account or something, or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. or it might be like whatever you know. Um, if you don't like the people involved in it, working with them is sort of it's just allowing them to sort of perpetuate being bad people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like down the line for someone, and it's letting them sort of wreak havoc to other people down the line so if someone's super toxic and you choose to work through the toxicity in Mm -hmm. order to achieve whatever it is you're doing Mm -hmm. i feel like that's a really bad thing for everybody to do because Mm -hmm. it's just going to hurt maximize the amount of people who are going to be uh injured um either spiritually or psychically or whatever Mm -hmm. by interacting with that toxicity so yeah, uh, and I see – yeah, so I think that's one thing. And then also realizing like if you're not enjoying working with them, you know, whatever it is is not going to be worth it no matter what. Even if it's like insane amount of money. It's yeah. just, like that's dirty money too. You know, it's just going to leave you yeah. whatever. I think it's more important to be – do I like these people? Do I do I um, respect them? Do Are they inspiring? Or, you know, am I – helpful to them am i essential to them as you know is there reciprocity going on is there you know all those like things where and that doesn't mean it might not be trying it might not be you might not get into argue arguments it might not be you know whatever it's not always going to be super smooth but i have found it can be really smooth and it can be really great and so yeah i think i gravitate again it's like i feel like there's always like a trial for whatever uh and then at a certain point, I think I've gotten better at recognizing the signs of like, oh, this reminds me of this. You know, let's let's eject. <laughs> and it's sort of perfect. It's uh... a learning process. And
0: um, I think you're talking about it from a business perspective, which we've all had like a coworker or a boss or an experience. But I've started applying it to um, – relationships from like providers so mm-hmm. like going to a doctor mm-hmm. that was not listening mm-hmm. and thinking well they're brilliant they have great grades they are take my insurance mm-hmm. but why why yeah. why would you continue a relationship with someone like and i think as we get older we learn more hopefully we start to listen to our own intuitive sense and sure. skills of things but we forget that like you know you walk into a coffee shop and people are rude to you right you can walk out, right. like take your business elsewhere. Right. No, like totally. it's okay. Like ps- people have bad days. Yes, right. that's true. But I don't know. There's a vibe sometimes you can yeah. get from people. Um, I had been taking yoga at the same place for a while, and I had followed this teacher because I liked the way she taught. Mm-hmm. But I found her interpersonally very um, kind of was like backwash. Yeah. It was just very negative. Uh-huh. And, there was something uncomfortable about it that i couldn't quite put my finger on and i found myself working really hard yeah at the interaction um and then realized i am like this is supposed to be yoga like i'm supposed to be relaxed <laughs> and i just i canceled my my monthly membership and i you. went someplace else yeah. but it was a it was kind of like a light bulb moment sure. yeah. and i thought I don't care if she's a good teacher or not. Like, in the the interaction, may or may not be her fault. It may be part of her personality. Maybe we just don't gel.
1: Totally. Right. I don't
0: think that she was even aware of it. Right. No, totally. But there was something about, like, oh, wait, I can choose to do something else. Right. And and I'm not, I don't have to storm out. I don't have to give a bad review on Yelp. I don't, like, I don't have to be outraged about it. I can just be like, Right. This isn't working
1: sometimes outrage in that context is not worth your time, and it's just more energy than it's you right. know necessarily it, gonna affect any change and right. right, yeah, No, I feel and I think i I'm glad you said too was you know it it's not necessarily an absolute or like an objective, it might just be the wrong fit for you right. or it's sort of and that's totally okay, you know right. like that's the other thing it's not I might argue some people are like totally absolutely horrible <laughs> or like whatever or just right. out of. You know, seeing the consistency and sort of whatever, right? Uh, You know what I mean. But uh, and you may also represent
0: something to them that you're not even aware of. Like there's some little drama that's taking place because you look like the cousin that once told them that their pants were feel fitting or yep. whatever <laughs> it is or they don't like your name or so you showed things. up on their bad day yeah. and now they forever associate you with their bad day right. like you don't know what's going on in their head and for
1: me if that's going to be the case then, and you know if it's out of your control then they're not the right person for you to right. whatever side of the relationship you're on right. That's just it's not worth your time either so right. it's sort of it's a mutually agreeable rather than forcing Again, Again, the shoehorn of the Cinderella (laughs) shoe.
0: Overarching (laughs) themes. Like, this was such a lovely conversation. There was such a nice exchange. Like, I didn't even look at my notes. Like, I just... Was so, it was a very lovely lovely flow. So, thank thank you so much for coming. I just did like a little time check. So, (laughs) Um, wrapping up, would there be anything else you would like to say? Don, 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 (laughs) got your name right the whole time, and now I'm calling you Don, Dan (laughs) Petchy.
1: Uh, well, no, thank you for having me. And uh, I hope you'll have me back again, maybe. I would love because, to. Uh,
0: I'd love to have you involved in the Black Box uh, Theater f- in Malden. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah. As a consultant. Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, no, I mean... I. This was a really lovely, organic, freewheeling conversation. Yeah, I think we touched a lot of bases. Good <laughs> uh, lord! But then also, I think there's a lot more to unpack and. We didn't talk swear about.
0: once. Do you want to swear?
1: Are we allowed to? <laughs>
0: it's public access. You can um. swear if you want. To. <laughs> Fuck yeah!
1: <laughs> now, uh, now I feel self-conscious about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's okay. Don't break with the organicness, of it. <laughs> the organic nature of it. Nice. Well, thank you. This was my uh, fourth podcast, and my guest was Dan Petchy. And he has a website, and we'll put his information up on my Facebook page. And um, thanks for coming on again. Thanks
1: for having me, Felicia.
0: Okay. Have a good one. Bye. So Hi Felicia is a podcast that I started with the idea of having conversations on a variety of topics, trying to do a deep dive, um, maybe knowing something about the person, maybe not. Um, One of my guilty pleasures is um, criminal minds and the team at the BAU, and they always profile a serial killer or an unsub by the fact that that they usually start in a geographical location that's comfortable to them. So I I do do that. So I am using friends and family and friends of friends and Facebook friends, folks who are basically in my sphere at first, to interview and have some conversations. Because I've always been curious about... um, you know, where people come from, what their interests are, and I get really jazzed about talking to someone who's really enthusiastic about a subject that maybe I know a little bit about, maybe I know nothing about. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with my different guests, and um, please feel free to comment, send questions, um, or send suggestions for guests that you think might be interested uh, to be on Hi Felicia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm so